What's up, guys? Rick from DFS On Demand here with a Ask Me Anything or a mailbag episode. My wife told me not to call it a mailbag episode because that sounds really old, like the Pony Express and the United States Postal Service's hand-delivering snail mail. So I've been told... Uh, As my social media manager during this uh, lockdown uh, has told me to call this an Ask Me Anything. So we'll go with that. Um, I've done a couple of episodes of these before, just kind of answering life questions, business questions, golf questions, kind of whatever comes up. Um, If there's something that's not covered that you want to go into more detail on, uh, happy to do so. Uh, Just, you know, leave a comment below. Tweet me at Rick Rungood. Let me know. Um, There's not going to be any graphics or anything. It's just going to be me sitting here answering these questions, this list of questions over here. So if you want to minimize the video, you don't have to look at me the entire time. Feel free. Uh, But let's let's jump right into this. So um, obviously we're in the midst of of the the PGA Tour hiatus for for some time here. So that might actually I'm I'm going through some of these questions and thinking uh, my responses might have been different a little bit of a, a week ago. But here we go. Uh, Orange Man, so he's my buddy from Slack. Um, how did you get into DFS PGA, and when did you realize you could do it full time? Uh, what is your favorite GPP win or contest result? So, this is probably a good one to start with because I've, I've answered this question before. But if anyone's new and doesn't really know, um, I, I started DFS on demand probably five years ago. I think in May, so in two months it'll be it'll be five years. And it was something that I did um, completely on the side. You know, it was uh, intended to be just a place where I could put my research data, right? I was making spreadsheets in Google Docs. I wanted a place where I could see them all the time, um, I, an easy way to kind of look at some visuals. So I just threw it on a website. I was the only one who had access to it, and um, and I was using that as my research. Then I... Sent it to a couple, fa- uh, you know, a couple buddies of mine. Let them log in. Uh, well received. Kind of thought, hey, maybe this is something that I want to share with the the rest of the industry. Um, so I I opened it up. I charged like I don't know eight dollars a month or something. And and the plan was honestly, it was just like I'm gonna make YouTube videos. like that's where the on demand stuff comes from. Is I was gonna make videos and they were all going to be on DFS on demand behind a paywall, um, which kind of is not what we do anymore. All the videos are on YouTube and in the, you know, the podcast feed. Uh, and it's the tools that are kind of behind the paywall. So that's kind of been the switch. Um, when did I realize I could do it full time? Uh, when, so it's really weird when you're working on something, when you're doing, when you're working full time, um, and I was working in, in marketing automation, I was working with college and pro sports teams. Um, when you're doing that full time, then you're coming home, to your side gig, to your DFS on demand, to your whatever it is, that's a grind. Uh, and, and when you start to see the side, uh, grow as large or bigger than your salary, that is super enticing, but it's also super scary because if you're making just as much on the side as you are in your, in your day job, and then you quit your day job, you've just cut your, you've just cut your income in half. So like at no point, and even, even, even if you keep, keep going on that, if your, if your side income makes three times what your main job does, uh, and you quit your main job, you are now, you've just lost, you know, a quarter of your income. Like, like there's very few points where you decide that this math problem 
is good enough to quit your job. Now, the the caveat to that is, you know, I was only working on DFS on demand, I don't know, I mean, probably 20 hours a week, maybe more than that. And the idea of being able to focus on it for 40 hours a week full time, have a singular focus, I thought could grow it even faster than it was growing on the side. So that that is you know, really what happened, I felt like I was at a, a cusp of, you know, the PGA tour is, it hasn't really started to embrace golf yet or sports betting or fantasy or anything like that. They've obviously embraced golf. And like, that was, I just felt like we were about to explode and I wanted to be in it. And I think I, I got the timing correct. And, um, now we're, you know, we're off for at least eight weeks or something like that. And, and it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult for a lot of people in our industry, um, which is a shame because I, I know that a lot of the smaller sites might not be able to take eight or more weeks off and, and come back from this. So, uh, it, it is going to be a tough time. I, you know, if I knew this was coming, uh, no, I still would have quit my job. I still would have quit my job. Um, Wyatt says, walk through your resume background, how you ended up with CBS, any major decision points where this could be different? So this is kind of just to, to expand on uh, the first question. I mean, once I went full-time, I was just all in. I, I was just talking about – and also DFS On Demand started – I was doing four sports. I was doing NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and the PGA Tour. And honestly, it was too much. Uh, I, I did not want to be okay at four different sports. I wanted to be the best at one of them. And I wanted to be the best at the one that – I was most passionate about, which was obviously the PGA tour and golf. And then I also just thought that, that, it, that this industry, that this sport had so much more room to grow the, the fantasy football market. It's fairly saturated, right? I mean, there's, there's a million, uh, content providers. There's a million sites. Everyone's already playing. There's not that much more room for growth. Now you'll you have the best floor ever because everyone's always going to play, but I, I I just don't know where fantasy football like how like how does fantasy football grow ten times it probably doesn't uh, but fantasy golf absolutely could um, so how I ended up with CBS is you know once you go full time once you start like I, like I've just said kind of yes to everything I've been on a lot of shows um, I was I was lucky enough to get hooked up with the guys at CBS that uh, you know they wanted to kind of really ramp up on, on fantasy, on betting, on content. And, um, you know, they, they had the first cut podcast. I think it was weekly at the time they wanted to, to, to have it go more often. Um, and they asked if I, if that was something I would be interesting, interested in, in hosting it. So we kind of went back and forth. I did a couple of test shows with them. I, I met the team, uh, and couldn't really be any happier about it. They are, uh, su- such a solid team. I mean, it's a, it's a real professional production that they have going on over there it's it's a thrill to be able to record with those guys so um actually recording a a pod here shortly so it's um it is really cool if if anything could have been different i mean i I guess i could have quit my job earlier uh but i i honestly think i timed it i I think i timed it really well um because if i would have quit any earlier i don't think the site would have been big enough to to even sustain because i knew it was going to be a hit financially um, to, to leave my income, to leave my insurance, to leave my benefits, to leave all of that stuff and and try to do it on your own. That's super scary. Uh, but I think I timed it just about right. 
Derek asks, can you talk about the projections on your sp- on your cheat sheet and what data you use to project that? Sure. So uh, the cheat sheet on DFS on demand, there's just there's three sets of projections. They are floor, median, and ceiling projections. Uh, generally, what they take into account is your recent form, uh, how well you've been playing uh, in both like uh, the short term, so like the last say six weeks or four weeks, and then longer term, 12, 16, 20 starts that you've had. So there's a combination of that. And then also um, your results. So like some guys have higher floors than others. So I'm using all of those past results, building out kind of like a normal distribution model of where those results are falling in. So someone like Rory, uh, well, Rory is a bad example because his ceiling is so high as well, but his, his floor is so high. You know, all of the top five finishes that he's racking up, um, he rarely disappoints. Now, Brooks Kepka, on the other hand, also has a lot of uh, a, a huge ceiling. But his floor is much lower because he can miss the cut. He could finish 50th. His, his results recently have been much more volatile than, than someone like Rory. So that's why I like to have three sets of projections, not just the mean median projection. That doesn't tell you much. Uh, floor and ceiling to go along with that lets you, lets you look at it as a user and say, okay, if I'm playing a GPP, I want high ceiling. If I'm playing a cash game, I want a high floor, for example. So um, just different ways to handle that. Uh, there is course history involved into it, if if applicable. Although some guys obviously are playing for the first time. So those those guys are, it's not, it's not weighted as much because we could have someone who um, hasn't played here before or hasn't played at that course in, I don't know, six years, something like that. <laughs> this one's funny. Would you sell your Twitter handle for a hundred thousand um, dollars? If you asked me a week ago, <laughs> I probably would have said no. Uh, but now I'm thinking, should I take the hundred grand? Um, listen, I, I, yeah, probably I would take a hundred thousand dollars for it. But I do think that what this conversation actually is better uh, is more along the lines of this industry and how important it is that like like I'm Rick Rungood, for example, like if I wanted to go start another website or something happened and like I needed to start from scratch, having the ability to have a Twitter handle, um, for example, or a YouTube channel or whatever that's tied to me and not tied to an industry or I'm sorry, a company or even an industry, sure, um, could be end up being very very valuable so if that's like the like to start from scratch again and i don't have that many followers I've, i think i've got right now less than 10 more than nine thousand, less than ten thousand, somewhere in there um that's not a lot but like to go from to go from zero again i feel like would be would be pretty difficult so yeah i'd probably sell it for that uh the number i wouldn't sell it for I'd probably sell it for 50. I might not sell it for 40. Um, I don't know. It'd be tough. I'd have to really look at it, but that's a good question. And I think it's a, a good conversation to have about what guys in our industry are, are kind of, are kind of dealing with. Speaking of industry, this next one, who are the nicest slash meanest guys in the industry? Uh, I will preface this by saying, I don't listen. When we were down at the DFS open, that was the first time I'd met 99% of these people or even talk to them. I I'm very insulated. Um, you know, I, I, I roomed with Pat Mayo for the, for the weekend. And he is, as you can imagine, very well connected because his show, you know, it brings on a lot of guests. He knows a lot of people. Um, my show is, is me, right? I, I don't generally have guests on. I don't have a, uh, a business network. I should quite frankly, 
so that's kind of a different conversation. But as from what I can tell, everyone was very nice. Um, you know, Eric Patterson, who I met in person, not at the DFS Open, is one of the nicest guys you can meet. Um, everyone always asks me, is Pat Mayo me- as mean as he seems online? Or I shouldn't say everyone asks me that. Like, I've been asked that like three or four times. Pat Mayo's like the nicest guy around, okay? Like, um, the fact that he gives everyone the platform that they do, like, him yelling at Cust, I feel like, and maybe he, he can confirm, like, that's part of the shtick, right? Like, that's the show is they get on there and yell at Cust. Um, Pat, Pat is a really nice guy. He's very easy to work with. Uh, it's no, no doubt about it. Uh, and then Ben Raza, who is probably like, Ben's probably like my favorite guy in the world. <laughs> he is so funny. Uh, and I don't know if he's trying to be, but he is, he's, he's hilarious. He's such a good dude. Uh, it, it, I, I don't really have, if I had mean guys, I'd tell you, I don't really know uh, who they are at this point, or at least I don't come in contact with them. Cause I, because I only come in contact with like, I don't know, four or five people. Frankie asks, um, what are your thoughts on New York City closing all bars and restaurants? So this is obviously uh, coronavirus related. And I will tell you, it is March 18th. Uh, We are not even a a week removed from the cancellation of the Players' Championship. So think about that. Like at the time I'm recording this, and I want to tell you when I'm recording this, because so much stuff changes, right? And like, Things are changing so quickly all over the world that what I say right now could very well be outdated in like 12 hours. Um, so, so it's, you know, it's March 18th in the morning on the East coast and or on the West coast, excuse me. And like the, how fast this is moving. Um, now, not only New York city has closed bars and restaurants uh, out here in California. I know counties are doing it. Uh, there is to this point, not been a, a federal or even statewide mandate where I'm at in California, although counties are kind of taking it on their own to, to do it uh, as well. I, I think it's smart. I mean, listen, I, I think that we are generally uh, very uninformed about how bad this could be. And I don't think people realize that this could be really bad. I mean, you're seeing it in some countries all over the world, right? Like Italy. And um, I mean, South Korea is getting it under control because they're doing a lot of testing and they're just, they're just like going nuts um, to, to really shut this down. And I, I feel like, and it's going to suck. It's going to suck for a lot of people. And I'll, I'll I actually have another question next that I'll talk about. Like, yeah, it's going to suck for bars and restaurants and it's going to suck for employees and it's going to suck for a lot of people. Like it really is. Like I, I feel for, all of those being impacted. I uh, personally, we're like we're all we're all being impacted by this. I would rather the saying that I that I think I heard. I actually think I think Rory might have said this. Something like today's overreaction might be tomorrow's underreaction, which to me says, and I agree with this. I would rather look back on this in six months or a year and been like, Oh my God, can you believe we overreacted and shut down all the bars and restaurants and we made people stay inside their house and we were locked down for two, three weeks. Like, I don't know what it would be. Right. Then to, to look back in six months or a year, still be dealing with this and wishing we had done more earlier. Like that's the concern that I have. Um, if, if shutting everything down, would would stem would stem the spread of of all of this stuff and everyone would stay inside their home and um the healthcare system you know wouldn't ha- I would still have a massive strain but wouldn't 
you know, we could, we could squash it in, in some way. Like, I think we should do it. Um, and I think we kind of be crazy not to, right. I, it's just, it's, it's obviously so difficult. We only get one chance at this, right. All the models are simming. If this, you know, if this happens a hundred thousand times, here's, you know, you could have a hundred thousand people dead. You could have a hundred million people. Like the, the models are all over the place, right. And they're simulating it a hundred thousand times. We only get one chance at this. So I would rather over, and I don't even know if it's overreacting. I would rather, uh, go all in right now on doing everything we can. Um, and look back and laugh and be like, we were so silly to do that. We didn't need to do all that. I, I would, that is, that alternative is so much better than the other one. Um, and that leads to the next question, which is what does this mean for our industry? Um, th- this is, listen, it's, it's impacting me financially. It is going to impact everyone financially. Um, all, all of the websites, all of the content creators, all of us that, um, kind of thrive on and, and, and need, we need it. We need sports, right? Like that's kind of what we're selling. We're selling content around it. We're selling data around it. We're selling everything that's attached to it. Um, it's going to impact everybody. It's going to hurt. And, and it's not just our industry. It's a lot of industries. I I think that, you know, and this is not, you know, luckily personally, I'm in a good enough spot where I can, I can sustain this, right? Like I've got, you know, I've got different things going on where I'm not just relying on, um, website income or like whatever, right. Or like ads from YouTube. Like there's a bunch of stuff going on where like, it's going to hurt, but you'll see me after all of this ends. I think there are going to be people you won't see when all of this ends you know, the content creators that rely on previews and, um, you know, live stuff and, and are kind of being paid that way. Or there are plenty of guys who are out there writing articles for websites. I mean, I, I write articles for, for websites and that has stopped because there's nothing to write about. If that is your sole income, if you are only being paid to write articles and this lasts three, four, five months, I mean, even two months, how many of us cannot have an income for two months? It, probably not a lot of us. So th- this is, I, I, I think that there are going to be um, guys that you know, guys that you enjoy that might not be the same after this and might not come back after this. And, and I think that's, it's an, it's a, it's unbelievable. It's a, it's a shame. It's terrible. I, I feel for all of you. I, I feel for you. Um, if there's any way I can help, please let me know. Um, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can, but it, it is really, I think going to impact this industry, which is a lot of content, you know, paid per content pieces and if there are no con, there's no content to write about, or there's no content to blog about, or vlog about, um, I think guys are going to be in trouble, which is a shame. So uh, it, we'll we'll see. I hope I hope in two months we're playing golf and we're back to sports, and you know those those who can survive two months did. But uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to hurt a lot of people. Uh, how did you score your beautiful wife? <laughs> okay, uh, I don't know. I mean, come on, I don't know. She's uh, way too good for me. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of like a funny guy, right? I don't, I have no idea. She's, uh, she's, she's, she's way too good for me. Uh, Adam asks, what are your feelings on Sam Hinky and the process? Well, uh, I'm originally from Philadelphia. I don't know if Adam knew that when he asked this, I am one of the Philadelphians who was basically all in on the process. And I, and I kind of, uh, I think about the process a lot, quite honestly. And, and Sam Hinky is a, sa- a savior to me. Because Sam Hinkie, like, like I, I like to use, look at what he did in basketball, but kind of use it as 
a way to look at other things, right? Which is Sam Hinkie looked at the situation that he was in and he said, wow, we are in what, what is basically NBA purgatory, which is where you get into the first round of the playoffs or you just miss the playoffs and you either get a lottery pick that's like 12 or you get into the playoffs, you lose in the first round and you get a lot and you get a pick that's like 16. Um, the problem is, you know, being the eighth seed in the NBA never wins you a title. Having the 12th pick never gets you a superstar. So he looked at his situation and said, okay, well, like, what's better? Do I want to be stuck in NBA purgatory or do I want to take everything around me, everything that I know, which is uh, the, the best way to acquire superstars? So hold on. No, you need superstars to win in the NBA. And the best way to acquire superstars is to get them in the draft. And then the best way to get a superstar in the draft is be very, very bad. And he said, okay, I'm taking the rules that the NBA uh, is allowing me, and I'm going to just go all in. This It kind of goes back to our, our conversation earlier, right? I mean, I would rather be all in on something and be wrong than kind of stuck in the middle and be in, be in purgatory. But I think it is a – I think of Sam Minky all the time because I, I try to look at other situations – golf um the the business industry that we're in it, it's it's like hey use the rules that are in place uh you know he's not cheating right he's he's just taking everything into account everything uh he is discounting any of kind of like the pr social stuff um and he's just doing what he thinks is best over time and 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 that i believe is a very oh there's oliver is a very uh smart thing to do you know i think a lot of our industry a lot of sports is 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 short-sighted it's talking about this year it's talking about um you know this month like looking long term to me is a much better situation you know if we looked back in 15 years after sam hinkey and they had no, and, and the sixers still don't win a championship they hadn't won a championship in the 15 years prior anyway so why not try something completely drastic and it you know for be bad for three or four years and give us a chance at actually being good and winning a title? And I think that's what he laid the foundation for. I wish he was still there, and uh, I try to use his thought process um, a, a, a lot in other things. How do you approach building correlation in PGA lineups? This is a good question, um, and it's tough because I, I and I, I was trying to explain this to someone the other day. Not a lot in golf is correlated, right? I mean, if you talk about uh, uh, fantasy football, a, a, a receiver catching a touchdown pass is obviously, you know, 99% of the time catching it from his quarterback. Those two guys are correlated. In baseball, how do you score runs? It's not a bunch of solo homers. It is a single, a stolen base, a double in the gap, a homer. Like, And, and then as, you know, those guys are um, – you know, they're getting on base, they're scoring runs. The Like, you can get points for all three of those guys or all four of those guys. In golf, what's correlated? Not much. I mean, you can be in the same group as someone else and you can shoot six under and someone else can shoot six over. Um, the correlation is either um, usually wave, right? So tee time. If, uh, if the weather is going to be uh, a factor one way or another, but the problem with that is you kind of have to guess what the factor um, – or, or what the weather, how that's going to factor in. And then you have to be right. And, and then, so like that's a way to correlate, I suppose. Um, what I like to do, and it is something that I've been working on for quite some time. And I know Ben Raza does this as well, 
is correlating um, skill sets. So, you know, I run the regression model every week and I find out what stats are most important. And if, for, if one week it's off the tee, I might, and maybe I don't get six, six really good off the tee studs in one lineup, but like, um, I try to, I try to get a bunch of guys who are really good off the tee or I don't put like six elite putters in a lineup just because that's such a volatile, you know, um, a volatile stat or a volatile skill set. So that's one. But what I actually want to do is, is kind of go further than this. Um, and I've kind of been working on it. It's, it's kind of weird, but I want to create pods of golfers, which is basically, Hey, these golfers tend to do well at the same time. So if Rory and I don't even know who a good Keegan Bradley, let's say that I run a regression model and see that, these two are fairly correlated in their results. Uh, when Rory plays well, Keegan plays well. Uh, when Rory plays bad, Keegan plays bad. If we created pods of golfers that were somewhat correlated with one another, you could say, okay, these three guys, they either have success together or they don't, um, for the most part, right? This is kind of a very wonky calculation and a, a cloudy picture, so to speak. But you could, in theory then start building lineups around those pods. And I think we, what we'd find is golfers with similar skill sets end up being the same, right? Like it might be guys who uh, stripe it off the tee and have a good short game, or it might like they might be similar type players. So that's my goal moving forward. I, I intend to uh, build a, a bunch of pods now that I've got, you know, I don't want to say a little extra time because I've got a lot of stuff going on, uh, but you know, a little extra time to be able to dive into something like this. I think that would be most valuable. All right. We're closing up. We're already through 25 minutes here. I'm going to put a pin in this. Um, let, I'm going to publish this, let this go out. If there's anything else, if we want to expand on anything, like I'm around, I'll throw the, I'll throw the mic on. We'll chat. Um, tweet me at Rick run good, leave a comment below and we'll try to do these every so often throughout this hiatus. All right, boys, stay strong. Talk to you soon. See ya.